Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Metasodes. In our 60th episode, we're going to be talking about organ donation, which is obviously a really important um, part of medical treatment, medical research, and obviously our palliative care as well. It comes into that as well. So we're going to go through how organs are used in transplant, how they're delivered, what they're used for in terms of helping people whose, whose organs have failed or are not working properly. We're going to look at the importance of organs in research in terms of what can we learn from studying organs uh, that have been donated by um, people. And then we're going to be looking at the, the organ donation system in the UK, which recently changed in 2020 from an opt-in system to an opt-out system. So to start off with, let's go to Adrian to talk about transplantation. So the most popular use of donated healthy living organs is transplant into another patient. The underlying concept is very simple, but implementing it and managing an organ transplant is riddled with complexities and challenges that must be overcome. The first comes the challenge of finding a suitable donor for the patient in need. Organs from different humans are not the same, and it is not the case that an organ can be implanted into any other patient. Instead, a series of compatibility tests have to be carried out in order to check that the organ has a relatively good chance of working properly in the patient, and would not be rejected by the immune system, which would be a waste of a transplant, and a lot of money as well. Firstly, a medical history is taken from the donor across all their bodily systems, including previous surgeries and family medical history. After the donor passes this examination, immunological tests are carried out. Firstly, a blood sample is taken from both the donor and patient. The ABO test is carried out to determine the donor's blood type. If the blood type is incompatible, there are some programs that may help pair these incompatible types up including plasmapheresis and paired exchange. Then, tissue typing is used to identify the donor's particular HLA antigens and determine if the donor and patient are compatible. Every patient has different tissues apart from genetically identical twins and it is believed that the better the tissue match, the more successful the transplant will be in the long term. This is why donors are often sought in the close family of the patient. HLA stands for human leukocyte antigens and are found on the surface of most body tissues. In some cases, an entire family may be tested to determine who will be the most suitable donor for the patient. Next, lab tests are carried out on the blood to, to test for various factors, including liver functionality, the clotting mechanism, basal kidney function, hepatitis history and HIV. Then, a psychological evaluation is carried out to provide emotional support and information for the donor, to assess the donor's motivation to donate, and to check if there is any external family pressure or financial incentive to force them to donate. The transplant team is also there to help the donor decline to donate if they do change their mind. More often than not, there are more people waiting to receive an organ than there are available donors. Only certain organs can be donated whilst alive, including, but not limited to, parts of the skin, parts of the liver, a kidney, and blood. For other organs, the donor has to be dead for the part to be extracted, 
However, this raises issues of consent. How is a dead person able to consent to donation? Later in the episode, Shrey will discuss the systems of consenting to organ donation. Another issue raised here is how do medical professionals define death? At what point is a patient considered dead so that their organs can be donated? This is a discussion that spans well outside the realms of medical sciences on its own and reaches out to ethicists, philosophers and many religious leaders. In the case of retrieving organs from a donor for transplant, it is important to retrieve this organ as soon as possible to ensure it is kept healthy and alive for the recipient. Logistics are very important when it comes to organ transplantation. There is a very tight time frame in which the organ has to be transported from donor to recipient to ensure the organ is not damaged in any way. Different organs have different preservation times. The heart and lungs can be kept outside the body for 4-6 to six hours, the liver 8-12 to 12 hours, the pancreas 12-18 to 18 hours and the kidney 24-36 to 36 hours. Organs have to be properly packaged for transportation. Coolers are most commonly used for accompanied organ transport, so as long as they are properly cleaned and sanitised. The main factor of transporting an organ is keeping the organ cool for the transportation time, using ice and gel packs surrounding an inner insulating container. Communication is key between the donor hospital and the recipient hospital, for the recipient needs to be ready in the operating room, opened up ready for the organ to be transplanted. The sooner an organ is put into the new patient, the better. However, the process is not over once the surgery is complete and the patient has been stitched up. The patient needs to come in for frequent checkups to ensure that the body isn't rejecting this new organ, and to ensure that the health of the patient is well maintained, the patient may have to put in extra measures. For example, after a liver transplant, the patient may not be allowed to drink alcohol ever again. An organ transplant is a long-term process and requires dedication from both patient and the, the hospital. And taking immunosuppressants is also often necessary to help suppress the immune system from attacking these, these new organs. However, this opens the patient up to risk of infection from other pathogens, for their immune system is permanently suppressed and cannot fight these off, leaving the patient more vulnerable to other diseases. The doctor has, the patient's GP has to keep a close eye on this as well. So that's a brief overview of how organs are used in transportation and how complex it is to carry out. However, there are other uses of organs outside transplantation and they play a key role in scientific research. And to talk more about that, I'll hand over to Anupam. Medical research these days tends to focus on either animal subjects or artificially created organs for their research. There is still a great demand for dead bodies in medical research, and most prominently, these are used in medical schools. While in years past, there have been instances where medical schools have had to resort to grave digging to get the bodies they needed. In the modern day, medical schools accept donations of bodies for their anatomy lectures. Medical schools usually decline body donations if the person has undergone surgery to remove their organs for transplantation, and therefore most of the bodies that are donated have opted out of the organ donation system. Also, if after death the person is found unsuitable to be donated as a body, medical schools will often decline their offers. 
They don't accept any bodies and will usually prefer bodies from younger people as they serve as better teaching tools for their students. In the UK, the process of body donation is managed by the Human Tissue Authority. And it's their responsibility to make sure that medical schools are accepting bodies in the correct procedures are being followed. Medical schools use these for examinations. And this process of teaching via the body is one of the oldest ways of teaching in medicine. It also means that students can get a better understanding of how the body actually works beyond the models that they use. However, another barrier to donating your body to a medical school is post-mortem examination or autopsy. If your cause of death is unknown, or if your death is part of a criminal case, it's unlikely that you'll be able to donate your body to science. Another barrier is that medical schools will not accept donated bodies during holiday periods, such as Christmas, as during this period of time, the bodies that are donated are not always from people who have consented. And often people who die around the holidays have their bodies needlessly given away to medical schools and hospitals. It's also not a free process. Some medical schools even request that the donor's estate contribute to the cost of transporting the body, particularly if the donation falls outside of the medical school's local area. However, donating the body, brain or tissues to a medical school or research establishment is seen as a valuable gift and they are an important resource for training healthcare professionals or for research. Of course, donating your body or organs to medical research or to a medical school isn't the only way you can help. Even while alive, there are cases where people have donated parts of their body to medical schools and medical research organizations to make sure that they have the resources they need to carry out their research. And this precludes the option of clinical trials as well, where people still living take part in the research. However, that's a separate issue. Now, I've mentioned a few times opt-in and opt-out of body donation and organ donation, but for more detail on this controversial and widely relevant system, I'm going to hand over to Shrey. So I think we've got an understanding that organ donation is really important for both transplantation and research. But what's the actual systems that are used so that we can get um, donors, donated organs to where they, they're useful? So the UK has, um, in the last few years, changed the way organs are donated from an opt-in system, which is the traditional system that most countries had and have today, to opt-out systems, which is... Although common in Europe, still probably not the a most common scheme worldwide. And that's because um, before in the old opt-in system, you'd usually, um, for example, when you went to have your uh, driving test, when you got your driving license, you'd have to then opt in to uh, and register to the NHS organ donor register. And about 36% of people did that. However, when they were conducting surveys and research, they found that over 80% of people were willing to donate their organs. So they found that there's a massive discrepancy between almost double of how many people are willing to donate their organs and how many people actually are eligible to donate their organs. So in 2008, Organ Donor Task Force report was published and 
it introduced some changes that has led to a 70% increase in um, organ donation. Um, firstly, it established a national organization for organ uh, transplantation, NHS Blood and Transplant, which we talked about as well in our episode about blood donation. And also there was this fundamental shift to recognise organ donation as being in the best interests of a patient that wants to donate their organs, rather than a donor as a source of organs. And this is fundamentally a shift from the utilitarianist argument of we need to get as many organs as possible to a shift towards prioritising patient autonomy. What does the patient want to do? From that, we've seen that this change in the law, which came in in spring 2020. And the UK actually has adopted a soft opt-out system. That means that people can still register to obviously opt out, but they can also still register to opt in. And you can still have an organ donor card that you used to have. However, it's the people in the middle, the people who don't register their choice, where this affects them most. Firstly, it's important to know that healthcare professionals have a duty of care to patients, and their first priority is to save their lives. Um, but in some cases, that's not possible. Um, for example, people on who've had a really bad, horrific injuries, or who have degenerative conditions, or something like that, they, they can't be saved. Um, and as Adrian mentioned before, there's strict criteria for diagnosis of death. And it has to be the diagnosis of death, the certification of death, has to be done by a doctor independent of the transplant team. And that's obviously because you don't want people declaring people dead before they're actually dead, because there's a responsibility to the patient and their wishes to make sure that it's done properly. And usually, Death is either uh, determined by the heartbeat stopping, that's known as circulatory death, or there's a, or there's brain death, where the brain isn't functioning anymore, or it's irrecoverable that the brain will function. And from that, once that declaration has been made, um, then if if the patient's organ donation status is known, then it can be moved forward. But for those in the middle, instead of just assuming they don't want to be a donor, the family is now consulted to see whether the person had expressed any particular view on organ donation or any opposition to organ donation specifically. Because now instead of looking for instead of looking for signs that the person wanted to donate organs, they're looking for signs that the patient didn't want to if there was any opposition and obviously also the family's wishes and religious beliefs are taken into account here and this is called a presumed consent or deemed consent and it basically means that we presume we basically say the patient has consented to be an organ donor unless they say otherwise and this might seem controversial but it's also used for example when you have in patients in ICU tend to we doctors tend to have to use this because the patient can't consent themselves because they lack capacity at that point. However, also it's important to note that most people don't die in circumstances that make organ donation possible. It's about one in a hundred deaths 
and they're usually people on, on ICU where they turn off the uh, ventilator or something like that, or people in A&E. For example, people being in car crashes is the typical example, young people especially. And obviously the body has to be res- treated with respect and um, the medical team te- still teach treat them as a patient even if they're dead and when they're treating them. And they obviously have to sew up the body again uh, and pre- make, prepare it for any um, funeral that might be happening afterwards. So we talked about we talk about the specific changes that have happened. Um, in terms of a timeline, in October 2017, the then Prime Minister Theresa May uh, announced that the system would be changing, and there was a consultation until um, about 2018, um, late 2018, when uh, the organ donation bill was put through Parliament. And on the 15th of March 2019, the organ donation bill achieved royal assent, which means it was approved by the Queen, and therefore it was um, an act of Parliament. And actually, this law was um, named, um, although its official name was the Organ Donation Bill, it's actually called uh, the Max and Kira uh, Bill. And that's because it was named after two uh, children, Max Johnson, who was a campaigner for uh, better access to organ donation and a recipient of a heart transplant himself. He's about nine years old at the time. And it was also this Kira is Kira Ball, who was the girl who donated her heart to him. So that's why it was named Max and Kira's Law. And um, it came in, there was a one year wait before it came into effect so people could register to opt in or opt out. And um, they simplified the system quite a lot. You can register online your decision uh, using the NHS app or NHS website. Or you can nominate a representative, um, sort of like a lasting power of attorney, uh, who will decide for you in the in event of your death. And there's extensive NHS m- media campaigns to make sure that people knew that if they wanted to opt out, they had to register that. However, it's important that p- that your decision is not final. If you decide later on that you don't want to donate organs or that you do want to donate organs, you can change your decision. And also you can withdraw your decision as well. What's hoped from the system is that it'll mean that there's more organs available um, for people who need transplants because uh, more people are effectively consenting to having their organs donated. However, there are some excluded groups from this opt-out system. So children under 18 cannot register themselves to become an organ donor, although with the permission of the, their parents can register on their behalf. Um, and that's how um, Kira was able to register. And obviously also people who lack mental capacity um, are excluded. So that means their organs won't be donated. And that's because obviously organ donation is a really complex decision to make. And it's one that uh, needs the weighing up of many arguments. And it's better for them not to um, not to assume that you want to donate rather than to assume you want to donate in that particular circumstance. Also, visitors to England or um, people who haven't lived in the UK for more than a year are also excluded because it's um, thought that they might not be aware of the, of the scheme. And it, again, um, you can't presume consent for those people because they don't have um enough information 
But overall, um, the UK system is a soft opt-out system where there's still um, leeway to, even if you don't register an opinion, for it's unlikely that your organs will be donated, either because um, you, your organs don't fit the requirement for transplant, your family can re- reject organ donation on your behalf, and I think that it's a really good system because it allows you to maximise the number of uh, transplants that can be conducted while still giving patients autonomy over uh, what, what they want to do. And also the fact that the fact that most people do want to become organ donors and removing the barriers to them becoming organ donors is, I think, only a good thing.